What is going on, everybody? Welcome in to episode 175 of the Get After It podcast with Dr. Erica Atkins, who is joining us um, in just one moment. I had such a great conversation with, uh, with Dr. Atkins. This is, uh, this is a really good episode. I'm, I'm really excited to share this with you all. Um, Dr. Atkins is a, is a psychotherapist, and, and she's done some work with the U.S. military. She runs a, a very you know, well-respected well, uh, uh, well practice out in Colorado. Uh, she just launched her book, and the book is rifling. It has already rifled to the top of the bestseller status on Amazon, um, and you guys are going to see why. Her book is Rock Bottom, Where Bad Bitches Are Built by Dr. Erica Atkins. Um, I'm going to tell you all right now, whether you're a dude or a gal, there's so much you're going to take away from this interview. Um, this is one of my favorite ones, to be brutally honest. And we've had psychotherapists on before. Um, I'm thinking of Dr. Breyer, uh, Flicker Grossman we've had on. And we actually, I just recorded another episode with, it's just fascinating. I love, I love, love, love the perspective that uh, Dr. Atkins brings to this interview. I think you all are going to love it. Go check out her book, uh, Rock Bottom is Where Bad Bitches Are Built. She's going to talk a little bit about that in this episode, talk about her experiences. There's so much here. Um, and I want to welcome her to the show. Let's cue the intro and let's rip the interview. This is the Get After It podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. Directions. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking some time to volunteer and uh, chat with our audience here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. And I want to actually, let's, uh, let's clarify this real quickly. Because um, you're, you're coming at this from a really a, um, how would I put it? Because like, you're a psychotherapist, right? Mm-hmm. And you've obviously, you've done, some, you've done some service to the U.S. military and you've done, you have a, um, uh, you have a clinic out in, in uh, Denver or really in the Colorado area. Um, mm-hmm. And you obviously have a lot of people who work underneath you and help a lot of, a lot of patients. Can you kind of give us a little bit of, before we even get to the book and some of the cool stuff that we're going to jam on, um, maybe a little bit of background, almost like the elevator pitch around, less of the pitch, more the elevator speech on, you know, where you're, where you're from, what your past and background is and why Absolutely. it all matters. Absolutely. Um, Well, like you, I'm a fellow Spartan. So um, I was born and raised in Ohio and uh, went to uh, Michigan State for my master's degree. I have a master's in counseling and then went on to the University of Oregon, go Ducks, for my PhD in counseling psychology. So um, I've been in the mental health field for about 20 years now, actually over 20 years, since the year 2000. And I've been a licensed psychologist for um, about 11 and a half years now. And um, yeah, and so I've, I've done a little bit of everything as far as my, my career goes. Um, I started out as a prison psychologist working for the, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, um, did that for about six years and then uh, branched out into private practice and joined the army at the same time. So I, like you said, I am an army reserve psychologist and veteran. Um, and I currently have a private practice in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And there's 18 of us clinicians um, working here. And our practice focuses on um, just kind of the, the whole person and, and you know any sort of um, difficulty that they have, but we really focus in on and specialize in trauma treatment. So any kind of trauma, sexual assault, sexual abuse, combat trauma, 
um, you know, PTSD, um, that sort of thing. So that's a little bit about me. And you, um, I think this is a cool thing to talk about. Um, besides the fact that you fled Ohio for Michigan, as so many of us do, I'm kidding. <laughs> every opportunity, right? But um, no, um, no, let's move beyond that. Uh, you're, you're a lot of the, I think a focus of your book and actually a lot of our conversation that we had the other day is like around this, around rock bottom. And this mm -hmm. is obviously also how you start the book. Can you, can you guys give us a little bit of clarity? What, what do you define in your experience working with patients, helping people get through rock bottom? What do you define? Because I think, especially maybe for a younger audience, we tend to, uh, maybe this isn't a younger audience thing. Maybe this is a human condition where we tend to overcomplicate what exactly rock bottom is. And yeah. uh, frankly, we maybe feel like we're there a lot often, more often than we don't. Uh, take us into really who you're speaking to when we talk about rock bottom. How can you first, I, I always think of like the first step in solving a problem is identifying the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And then also thinking it's like, you know, every every problem is usually, it's usually a present wrapped in, what are they, what's the old expression? Like it's a, it's a present that's wrapped in a problem, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and once, you, once you actually solve it, once you go through the challenge, then you get the prize. And I think of it like rock bottom is as much of an opportunity as anything in our lives, right? And the ability to bounce back. And we just have Rudy Ortiz on the podcast talking about, you know, the greater the challenge, the greater the comeback. Could, could we start by maybe just doing a little insight on what rock bottom is and maybe shed a little light on somebody who's struggling with something to identify. Maybe they aren't in a total rock bottom moment because how often do we, there's someone who's always got it worse than us. So maybe kind of, kind of, kind of clarify a little bit what you mean by rock bottom and how do you identify Absolutely. where you're at? And let's talk about that a little bit. To start things yeah. Off. So rock bottom is defined as like the lowest possible point. And so as far as a, a rock bottom experience for, um, for a human, that's subjective, right? Because what is rock bottom to you might be, you know, just a speed bump to me. And what's rock bottom to me might be like no big deal to you. And, and so, um, you know, we can take the same event and 20 people can go through it and they'll have 20 different perspectives on it, right? And so I think rock bottom is different for everyone. And rock bottom is, is basically, if that's what you feel like it is, then that's your rock bottom. And um, where the title of the book came from is um, I had had kind of a, a string of, um, events happened that were very challenging, very difficult and, and traumatic. And I was talking with my best friend one day and I said, Tony, I just can't, you know, I, I can't rise up. Like, it feels like every time I'm, I'm at the lowest point, I get kicked while I'm down. And she said, Erica, rock bottom is where bad bitches are built. And that moment was a defining moment for me. Cause it, it's like you said, it's a, it's a growth opportunity. It can be um, lead to many positive things, but it is so hard to see that when you're in the moment. It is so hard to see that. And um, so it, I feel like I've hit rock bottom multiple times throughout my life and it won't be the last time. I'm sure there will be hard things that happen to me moving forward. And so, um, you know, my, my book, Rock Bottom is Where Bad Bitches Are Built, is really geared towards helping people be um, equipped with the skills to handle rock bottom, but also the, the mindset of um, you can get through this and we can do hard things and we can, we can move forward. We, you know, you are not what has happened to you. Um, that is just a part of your story. It's not the whole story. 
That's so good. I'm curious too, in terms of your work with someone on, you know, and actually more so like I've, I've actually, we've talked about rock bottom on the podcast a few times and I look at it, it's like, you know, it's a season that you must go through. Um, and I think of it like, you know, you know, the universe isn't going to bring you to something if it's not going to bring you through something, right? Mm-hmm. We get, we get very much get a, uh, caught up in the idea that things are going to be, you know, things are just awful and, and they're spiraling, right? We feel like we're in a spiral. And maybe you disagree with this. I'm curious. I mean, it's obviously it's easier to be in a spiral than to be building, right? Like it takes so much less time to tear things down and mm-hmm. to fall back than it does to build your way forward. And maybe that's, is that is that one of the reasons why rock bottom hits so hard is because when you realize you're there, you don't have the, con- what, what is it that prevents us from pulling ourselves out of it? And what, 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 what serves as the spark in your experience working with patients on this? Like, unless we're even patients, just human beings, we all go through this, right? We're all mm-hmm. patients, I guess, at the end of the day. What is, what often serves as the catalyst to get somebody out of rock bottom? Yeah. So I think that, um, when you hit rock bottom, there's, there's typically been kind of a a tumble or a significant fall and you don't have energy and you just feel like, um, just completely tapped out. Like you just can't move forward. And I think when people reach that point, um, as far as, as my perspective, if they're, if they're coming into my office, you know, I often see people at their absolute lowest points and, um, you know, a lot of what I do is just validate their story, validate their experience, you know, to um, let them know, like, yes, you've been through hard things. And guess what? You are sitting on my couch now, which means that you've survived it. And even though you might still be in the midst of it, you've taken the first step at least towards reaching, you know, grabbing each foothold and and, um, uh, working your way back up to the top. So, a lot of what I do in my work with people is, um, again, validate the experience and give them permission to feel their feelings. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, the book is, it's really geared towards women simply because it's, it's my story and I'm a woman. I don't know what it's like to be not a woman. Um, but for men, particularly, um, hitting rock bottom can, can really feel, um, I'm not sure what the word is that I want, but a lot of times me just giving men permission to feel how they feel and that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to, to be scared. It's okay to not know what to do next. It's, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. And even though that is super uncomfortable for anyone, not just men, um, but I give people permission to, to feel their feelings and to know that those feelings are okay. Um, and, and it's just a lot of, it's, I kind of see myself almost as a a coach slash cheerleader at times too, because it's just reminding you that you've got what it takes to move forward. Um, You've got the strength Mm. that it takes and um, you know, that, that I'm, I'm there to help you along the climb, but I'm not the one doing the work. You're the one doing the work. You're the one climbing up the, up the hill or the mountain or the, you know, overcoming the barrier. I'm just there to help guide you. That's a great line. You know, I think of it like uh, maybe it's the masculine energy of wanting to. Oh, there's so much I could go with it, right? Because it's literally like uh, I think of it like so. When I exited, I um, 
I had a painting everyone on the podcast knows this for the most part for, for my audience. They, they know some of my journey, but um, I was running a multi-million dollar division of a painting business at a fairly young age. And this was at the end of 2019. And I, when I exited that role, it was because of burnout. It was because of a unsustainable, like I love the job. I love the vision, but I, I was disaligned with how I was living my day-to-day life. As I go mm-hmm. back and I reflect on it, I wasn't in a position where I could continue. I, I failed at putting myself in a position I could continue. And one of the things that was so fascinating about that was once I I did this whole trip and it was amazing. I literally went all over the world for six months after leaving that job. I mean, it was, I had never not had a job since I was like 13. I grew up working for my father. Then at school, I balanced a job. Then I started this painting business. And then four years of doing that, I was like, oh, I need to take the opportunity and go travel, which was great. I'm glad I did it right before COVID. But there was a reality where when I was figuring it out afterwards, it was a, you feel like you should have more things figured out. You're used to being the person with the answers and you don't know how to tell somebody, you know what? I actually don't have a plan right now. I have absolutely no idea how things are supposed to work out. And that's very anti-masculine, right? Like masculinity is very like, you're supposed to have the goal and you're chasing it and you know what you got to do and you're going to achieve and you're going to do those things where, wow, how powerful. And really the first step again, goes back to acknowledging, you know what? I don't have the plan. I don't have, I don't know where I'm at with that. And, and you're just, that's, that's what I'm really taking away from, from having that conversation or, th- or really this conversation so far is like, you have to be in a place where not even so much in a place to have the conversation. You need somebody in your life to have the conversation with. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the greatest challenge for, for men on that side, for, for, for women. Um, and let's, let's, let's talk about this in terms of uh, both. It could be men and women, young, young, young Americans today. I think, and I've talked about this in my book that'll be coming out soon. Is like, this is one of the best opportunities ever to do things because of, because of what COVID is doing and the internet's doing and redeploying resources. And there's so many cool opportunities out there. Yet at the same time, it's so challenging to be a young American right now because the paths that have been there for decades upon decades are proving to be less and less reliable and yeah. more and more challenging, especially if you're straddled with student loan debt and you don't have a specific uh, uh, aim as to where you're headed. Um, I don't want to turn this into what kind of advice do you have for, for young Americans in that sense, but what's important for people who are just out of school, maybe just trying to get their feet wet, um, how do they put themselves in a position where even if they feel like it's rock bottom, maybe to recognize, you know what, this isn't a rock bottom moment, you have so much in front of you to build, mm-hmm. how do you build up that, 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 that specific demographic and maybe any words of wisdom for that group um, really in 2021 yeah. and beyond? Absolutely. Um, well, I think that where you are in this moment is right where you're supposed to be. And no matter what that looks like for for any one of us. And I think long gone are the days where you get out of high school or college and go work for a company. And then in 40 years, you retire from that company with a pension and you know sit on your front porch and, and watch the sunset. Um, to, in today's day and age, everyone's, I shouldn't say everyone, many people switch careers or switch jobs every two to three years. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so if you don't know what to do right now, just get a job, get something. And from there, you know, you can, you can build upon that. So um, one of the things that I used to do while working with um, incarcerated populations is, is you know, people who are incarcerated and heading back out into the community, no matter what age they are, they're starting from scratch, right? 
And um, with a felony on your record, you often face a lot of barriers in terms of employment. And so what I would often just reiterate is you don't have to have it all figured out right now. Like if you want to be a recording artist, great. That's great. That's absolutely great. What steps do you need to take to get there? And you need to understand that you're not just going to walk out these doors and be a recording artist. You may have to start at McDonald's or waiting tables or, um, you know, working at a bookstore or something. And you can continue to apply for jobs. You can continue to and, um, you know, find experiences that, that speak to you. Um, what I often encourage, and I have teenagers, so I encourage my, my children, you know, to, um, and, and the teenagers that I work with here in my practice is um, just find what you love and do what you love and then find a way to make money doing it. And, um, and, and that can be a struggle. And I think that there's, you know, for, for young people entering the workforce, um, especially in this time of, of COVID, um, you know, it can feel very scary because, you know, how do you get started at a time when many people are losing work or out of work or underemployed? Um, but I say, just, just, as you say, get after it, you know, just don't take no for an answer as the final answer. Um, and if you receive 10 no's, so what, just keep going. And, um, don't let anyone else decide your fate for you. You know, you are, you are in charge of your own destiny and, um, you know, just, just take, take life, um, you know, by the reins and, and just drive, you know, drive it. Yeah. I love it. Who, uh, um, you mentioned several things there. Can we go to the, the working with the, the prison population and people who sure. are, who are, um, in that challenging the space, we've had uh, we had Dr. Uh, Breyer uh, Flicker Grossman on, who was a I mentioned I mentioned this before. We had a she was our last psychotherapist, and we had such a great conversation, actually similar to this already about um, young people and understanding. I remember one thing she brought up was uh, um, I think it was her son who was probably in I think his late twenties, and he felt like he just supposed to be so much further ahead, and she she had to remind him, "You're right where you're supposed to be." Mm-hmm. How do you have that conversation with somebody who is facing years behind bars? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, the vast majority of the time, those who are behind bars have committed a crime. There's, of course, folks who do get incarcerated for things they didn't do, but that's the, the exception rather than the norm. And so um, many times, at least with the populations that I've worked with, I was a drug abuse program coordinator. So m- many of my patients and clients had substance abuse histories um, and or were incarcerated for, um, for drug-related crimes. And so the whole, you're right where you're supposed to be, um, you know, sometimes that resonated with them. Like, yeah, I made mistakes and, and I was headed down a, a really dark path and this is probably what I needed to save my life. Um, some may not see it that way and that's okay too. Um, and so I, I, I just really reiterate that, um, this is an opportunity, whether you choose to see it as such is, is up to you, but this is an opportunity to learn, to grow, to, um, to, you know, make mistakes and figure it out. That's how we learn, right? We, we, we screw things up and we try again. Um, and you know, that's, that's my message, whether it's for, you know, middle-aged women who are trying to figure out what to do next or a teenager who doesn't know, you know, what they want to do after high school or a prison inmate who's, 
you know, been locked up for 40 years and has no idea what the, the quote unquote real world is like now. So yeah, it's just, um, and I believe many times um, we don't realize that we're right where we're supposed to be, or we don't, we don't realize the, the, the purpose of the path that we're on until, uh, until we reach our destination or until someone, something along the way makes it make sense. And it, it can be hard sometimes to remember that when you're in the thick of it. That's really good. I, um, I want to shift gears if we can and talk about, I, um, I'm actually, so I'm down in Mexico as we record this. We were, I was joking. I had my, my shirt unbuttoned when we, when we first started the podcast <laughs> interview, right? I need to, I need to pull myself together here. It's just so hot. Oh, it's just so hot down here. Isn't that terrible? No, I'm kidding. Um, okay. The reason though, I'm bringing this up, we were talking just last night at a networking event down here, um, with a, with a friend of mine, a new friend from, uh, from France. And we were, I was going to be staying later and she, she, we had a big group of us and she was, we, we, the conversation shifted to, you know, getting a cab and she was going to take a cab back to her place. And how often, uh, um, this is something where I talk, I, I'm very frank about it. I'm six, two white and, and a big guy. I do not, I have never felt uncomfortable almost in any situation period where women do in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And for just reason, I want to ask you about this in the sense that how do you reconcile? How do you reconcile with certain things? I know you talk about a little bit of uh, about about domestic violence in your book and some of these mm -hmm. things where women are very much improportionately victims of things like these like these measures that um, unfortunately seems to be almost how the world works. How do you reconcile with? And maybe this doesn't have to be specific to women, but for anybody, how do you acknowledge the fact that there are these discrepancies and challenges, and how do you go about not letting it define? you and define the work that you do because it's so easy to get caught up in that rabbit mm -hmm. hole and, and I guess the real question is avoiding the victim mentality while acknowledging realities that are there yeah. not, too, not too great of an orchestrature of a question but maybe I think you could run with it a little bit mm -hmm. absolutely well what, what comes to mind um, in terms of my own personal life is um, again as a as a psychologist in the army um, I'm an officer and I'm female and there aren't very many of us in terms of if you take a look at the whole population. I don't know current percentages, but it's something like 80% male, 20% female for the whole military um, and you know it, officers as well. So one of the things that, that I bump up against, and this has happened both in my um, civilian life as a psychologist and then also in the military is not getting the same level of credibility that my male counterparts get. And so um, that is something that's been a challenge for me my entire career. And I hate it. It sucks. It's not fair. It's not right. But if I sit around and just, you know, accept that this is the reality and there's nothing I can do about it, nothing's going to change. And then I'm allowing the system to impact and dictate my career. Um, and so, um, I do feel like I have to work harder at times than my male counterparts, but it is what it is. So, um, I chose this life and I, I knew going into it that this would be, um, part of my reality. And, and I, you know, my forward march basically just continue with the mission, knowing that that's part of the reality, but. I use my voice to speak up at times when, when I can, when I feel like it is going to make an impact. But I think what's important is 
um, those of us that are experiencing that sort of, um, you know, struggle or marginalization or whatnot, and um, this goes for, for any population who is experiencing um, discrimination or whatnot, it's actually the people in power, the people in the, 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 the positions of privilege um, that are the ones that can make the most difference. And so, you know, you said you're, you're a big guy, you've never felt uncomfortable. And so you're in a perfect position to help in situations like this, where if you see something, say something, if, if somebody makes a comment, address it. If, if you see, you know, someone in a, a tricky situation, um, intervene kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, that's really good. That's really powerful because it actually goes down to like, um, it's just comes down to like, we, it's a narrative that we have with the show, which is that um, two things, like one, if there's one thing <laughs> that all of us learned in 2020 is that there's no rules anymore. There's just mm -hmm. the, the, the preconceived notions of things that were the case or weren't the case. Um, it's better to just perceive them as not being the case because there's just, <laughs> it's just there's no rules. Rules are out the window. And the second is we need leaders. You know, we need leaders on every front and it's not simply a business thing. It's not, I mean, you're showing a ton of leadership and not only coming on this podcast, but doing your book and so much and leading your, the clinic and, and the people who work with you and, and serve your patients and those things. There's leadership there, but it's also, as you just mentioned, something that's a challenge on us who have stances, have a soapbox, if you will, of leadership mm -hmm. to actually use it, to do it, mm -hmm. to do things and lead by example. Um, that's really powerful. There's no question there, just more of an acknowledgement. I think that's really good. How do you think in terms of uh, where we're headed? Are you are you optimistic about where we're headed in terms of, because I feel like it's been a very challenging last, uh, well, maybe last few years, but really since the rise of technology, right? And social media, we seem to be at each other's throats. We seem to be also very much less so even on a political side, more on a individual side. Uh, it's very easy to get distracted and, and you're not, it just seems like from a goals oriented standpoint, the things that are gonna matter most in your life um, constantly are getting put behind distractions and things mm -hmm. that are not going to actually serve us over the long run. What are some strategies or maybe even tactics that you work with work with your clients and people that, people that turn to you as a leader um, to help them get back on track with something that they're either struggling with or some kind, we're all struggling, right? With certain things, that's really what life is. It's a big mm -hmm. struggle. How do you, how do you take advantage of that? How do you turn it in, into your advantage? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in the military, when, whether it's a, a training exercise or we've gone on a mission and the mission is complete, we do after action reviews or AARs where you, you sit down, okay, what was, what was our goal? What, what did we set out to do? What did we actually do? What did we do well? What did we, what can we prove upon, uh, excuse me, improve upon moving forward? And, um, you know, I, I use that example with my clients, with my kids, with, with, with anyone really that, um, like I said before, you're going to screw up. That's, that's what happens. You're going to screw up. And we as a society have screwed up many things. Um, we as a culture have screwed up and we, we, instead of placing blame or getting defensive or running in the opposite direction, face it head on. You know, um, if you make a mistake, own the mistake and figure out how to learn from it and figure out how to make it right. If you can, if you can't figure out how not to let it happen moving forward. And so um, it's really just about embracing failures and, and embracing, um, embracing struggles, you know, and um, 
being willing to take a, a good critical look at yourself or as a, as a group, a good critical look at the group and, and um, figure out what didn't go well and how do you change that? And, and that's where leadership comes in, like you were saying. And um, leader doesn't have to be the person in charge. We all have leadership potential and leadership abilities. So, you know, step forward, take accountability um, and, you know, figure out what you need to do. It's, um, you know, kind of mentioning how, what, where we are as a society right now. I think in some ways as a society, we're kind of at rock bottom, right? In, in some ways, um, but thriving in others. And so it's just about taking those experiences and learning from them and growing and coming together. You know, you make a lot of great points about social media. We're just, we're at each other's throats. And um, when working with adolescents um, in my practice, these kids have grown up with social media. They don't know a life before social media. And so, so much of their day-to-day -day interactions are social media based and um, people being cruel to one another is, um, it's, it's, it's kind of an epidemic if, if you will. And it creates so many problems for that young generation. And um, so I, I find that I spend a lot of time, again, just encouraging young, uh, young men and women, don't let anybody else define you don't let anybody else tell you who you sure. are you know um yeah and so kind of using that and, and empowering and moving forward well yeah it's interesting it's like is is people being cruel to each other especially when they're younger and a new thing absolutely not it's just now with the internet it's uh, leveraged mm -hmm. right it's leveraged over it doesn't just happen that one time everyone can see it or it's uh there's something about it being an ink right if it's sent over versus something that's said i mean what's that yeah. whole thing like the human memory we we remember things differently you can't remember a texting conversation differently for the most mm -hmm. part right it's it's mm -hmm. an ink you know and um that's what's i think what's fascinating is you just mentioned something it's like uh these these people have never known a world without social media and they never will right i mean we're not going back mm -hmm. um Jeez, what are, what, what are some healthy ways you think to manage that? Is it, um, cause I didn't think about it. I mean, we do a lot of the work we do with clients is on social media. I mean, social media is the way people engage with people and the way they connect and the way Absolutely. that they share things. Right. How do you, how do you guard against actually differentiating the social world and everything that's on the webs versus you in front of you? This might be a ridiculously stupid question, but at the same Not time. Not at all. No, no it's a very sure. important question. I think, um, I think that really we, we are so addicted to our technology. Like, you know, admittedly, I, I am guilty of that. You know, if my phone is missing or if I don't have access to it, I feel anxiety, right? Like, what am I missing? What is, what is happening that I'm not able to respond to right now? And so for me personally, what I've had to do is, and, and have to continue to check myself regularly is, disconnect you know you don't have to be on technology 24 7 so start your day um you know the, the first couple hours of your day before looking at your phone you know do things for yourself exercise eat well you know sit and, and sort of reflect upon your day and what it's going to look like and you know take breaks for throughout the day from your technology um, connect with real live people um, as much as you possibly can get out into to nature. Like I just really encourage um, both myself and, and people that I work with to take that technology break um, and connect physically with the real world. 
Um, because you're right, it, we, we aren't going back. Social media and technology is here to stay. And it's very important and it has advanced things for us in many, many ways. Um, we just need to find the balance. You know, the pendulum often swings to extremes, right? And, and right now, I think we're, especially with the COVID pandemic and, and sort of social distancing, we're reliant on being disconnected, but connected um, with electronics. And so it's about just hitting the pause button almost and finding that balance between living your life in this moment with people around you and being tied to your technology. Yeah, you know, oh, and that's so good because I also think of it like the way I see that the whole pandemic thing is like you, you're you were limited whatever social capital or um, highways, if you will, that you had before the pandemic uh, is what you fell into mm -hmm. post pandemic because because there were no way to build new social interactions or at least for many people, right? right? It was it right. was the only way to actually build new social capital. Um, well just like anything is to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and put yourself in new experiences. And all of that really changed with the pandemic. We didn't do that, right? And maybe that's what I see too is, and this might be more of an observation than a question, is the people who are continuously putting themselves in a challenging environment or a new thing, um, they're the ones who are experiencing growth post-COVID mm -hmm. where I can't say how much um, I had the chance to be home for uh, I was back in Michigan for a couple of weeks uh, before moving to Tennessee earlier this year. And, and just go, I, I remember I went to the gym and it was like, how many people are just lost right now where they're either underemployed, unemployed, or living with their parents and they're waiting for the pandemic to come to an end. And it makes sense because everything they know in terms of building new relationships and new opportunities and new streams of influence, frankly, um, came to an end in March mm -hmm. of, of, of 2020. And it's like now, it's almost like an acknowledgement of, yes, this happened. You know, yes, <laughs> it, 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 it impacted your life, uh, but it doesn't have to continuously do it, no matter mm -hmm. where you're at on, you know, it's like one thing is like, we've avoided talk, we don't talk about the pandemic much on this podcast, actually pretty much at all this podcast, because I've just accepted, that's not something you're gonna change anyone's mind on. That's just not right. important. Why, why, why spend any social capital having conversations about that? That's just stupid. I'd mm -hmm. rather have more of a conversation around this where it's like, you know what? If you feel like you're stuck, you don't have to remain stuck because in your, you, you, need to, you need to audit yourself. And this might, be, this might be, actually I can circle back to the question, how often do, do people place blame on something that's out of their control on purpose as an excuse not to change, right? So often, yes, so often. And, um, you know, I think that that's one of the main themes of my book is that you are not what has happened to you and you are not, um, you're not, you're in control. Basically, we always have a choice. We always have a choice. We have a choice in how we respond to a situation. We may not have control or choice over much of what's happening, but we can control how we respond. And um, in some of my, you know, darkest moments that I that I reference in the book, um, you know, I remember one day waking up and thinking, God, this sucks. This hurts. I don't even want to get out of bed. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And then it was it was almost like, well, Erica, you have no choice. You know, like you just have to get through it. So get out of bed, put one foot in front of the other and handle your business. And um, I think that, you know, as a psychologist, the one population that I struggle to work with are people who um, are in a situation 
and refusing to do anything about it. You know, that they just want to sort of marinate in the situation and, and, um, you know, want to, to sometimes feel sorry for themselves or want others to feel sorry for them. And, and I mean no disrespect by that at all, because certainly that's part of the process, right? Sometimes we have to sit in, in our situation and feel our feelings and feel bad for ourselves, et cetera. But at some point you have to make the choice that you don't want to do that anymore. And, and I struggle working with people who, who really aren't interested in, taking that next step or, or doing something, even small changes to, to make an impact. And so, um, you know, I, I would say if you're feeling stuck in your life to just take a look around you and ask yourself, okay, what can I control in this situation and what action steps can I take? Because there are, again, there are going to be, we can't control the fact that we're in a global pandemic. It is affecting the entire world, but we can control what we do with you know, the options that we do have. So it's, it's kind of, again, taking that ownership of your own destiny and, and fixing what you can fix or changing what you can change. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, your time uh, doing some, doing deployment with the U.S. Mm -hmm. military. We, we spoke a little bit about it the other day. Can you, can you kind of go into just some of the work that you've had the opportunity to do for some of the service members in your two tours? I believe one was I think they're both in the Middle East, correct? They're just in different yeah. portions. You want to talk a little bit yeah. about that real quickly before we get to your book and how sure. people can find you and how they can yeah. support the launch and everything going on from there. Yep. Um, so yeah, I've, I've deployed to the Middle East and um, had the opportunity to work with service members from all branches of the service, not just Army. As again, I'm Army, I'm a soldier, um, but worked with, with everybody and I, that was probably one of the most rewarding yet challenging experiences of, of my life because as, as a psychologist deployed, um, I am, my, my whole role is to help others, you know, to, to help the other service members adjust to the environment, to overcome things that they're struggling with, to, uh, to deal with traumas that occur, but I am also going through those same things, right? I'm away from my kids and my family. I'm away from my comfort zone in my home and I'm living in austere or, you know, not great environments um, right along with the people that, that I'm talking to and that I'm treating and helping. Um, very, very rewarding work. Um, I, I feel like I was able to help. Again, there's not a lot we can change about the situation or the environments or the things that we're exposed to in a deployed setting, but we can make small adjustments to our mindset, to our expectations. Um, there are treatments that we can do to help heal from traumatic um, events and experiences. And, and so that was, that was really rewarding for me. I love that. I love that. So you have, uh, in, in, um, you know, there's so much that we could keep going on and I really appreciate volunteering some time to talk to us. Rock bottom Absolutely. is where bad bitches are built. That's right. uh, find your footing, conquer the climb. Um, real quickly, the, the book, uh, why, why, why the book? Why was the book uh, the move? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, the book actually started as I've wanted to write a book for some time. Um, the, the sort of major story in the book begins in 2013. So that was eight years ago, right? Um, so I've, I've had this desire all this time to write the book, but it began as, as a blog while I was deployed. Um, healing, or excuse me, writing can be incredibly healing. Writing is, is an excellent tool 
to use to, to get through something or to heal from something that's happened in the past. Um, so I started as a blog and I, I just I wrote blog entries and, you know, put it on my own personal Facebook and got feedback from friends and family. And um, it just grew into, into the book from there. Um, and, you know, the, the goal in the book was, it started out as a goal for me, for my own healing. I had to tell my story in order for me to be able to move past it and to, to own it and to accept it as a part of me, a part of, a part of what has happened to me, but to recognize that it does not define me and that, um, you know, there's so much more to, to Erica than, than just this traumatic incident that has happened that, uh, that I talk about in the book. Um, and that's my goal then moving forward is to empower others to know that, again, you're not what has happened to you and you can take that and run with it. You can, you can grow. Um, I, I wouldn't change anything. You know, I would not go back and, and undo anything because it's shaped me and molded me into who I am today. And, um, my hope is that others can benefit from the hardship that I've been through and um, can also know that they too can overcome whatever challenge is, is put in front of them. That's so good. How can people find you, Erica? How can, how can they support the book launch and, and where can people find you on social media? Absolutely. So um, my website is Dr. Erica Adkins. So it's D-R-E-R-I-C-A-A-D-K-I-N-S.com. And on the website, there's, there's links to the book. There's links to a free PDF download workbook um, companion that goes along with the book um, and links to my social media and, and, and everything from there. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I can't wait to have you back on maybe at some point too, because this was such a wide ranging conversation, not just even about the book. I think we definitely succeeded in, in, uh, in, in speaking to the whole audience here, not yeah. simply um, not simply the, the, the bad, the bad bitches, as we mm -hmm. will say, that are going to be going right. to rock bottom. This is so good. Erica, thank you so much. Appreciate your time like crazy. And I wish you the absolute best of luck with the success of the book. And, Absolutely. uh, we need more, we need more leaders like you on this front. So I really appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on the get after podcast. Absolutely. Yo, yo, you made it to the end of the podcast. Congratulations. I really hope this was um, I hope this was a fun one for you. We love uh, these interviews. So if this was something that was profound, it hit you hard, share this with a friend. We don't monetize the podcast in any way, shape, or form. This is uh, strictly for personal development and growth. And frankly, it's a passion project of my own. So um, I really appreciate you all for not only taking the time to, to listen, but uh, in helping build this show. Uh, if it impacted you, the best way that you can help us and you can expand the Get After message is to share this with someone who needs it, uh, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, um, and to just, again, like share the word, like share this with your friends, share this with people who uh, could be impacted by this. And special, special thanks to our guest today. And with all that being said, I really hope this episode and the daily ones as well are helping you get after it in your life, work, business, whatever it is that you're rolling with. Let's roll. Let's get after it. Make it a great one. Talk soon.